More than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. You're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Grace Dietzler. And I'm Joseph Valencia. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student or a postdoc at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show or you just want to find more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and today we are very excited to be joined by Janelle Layton, a master's and soon-to-be PhD student in fisheries and wildlife. Welcome, Janelle. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are in fisheries and wildlife, and you study the Nassau grouper. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what is, what's a grouper? Yeah. Let's start with that. So there's a bunch of different species of grouper um, all over the world, but I specifically look at Nassau grouper, which is found in the Northwestern Atlantic Ocean. Um, I actually, I actually focus on the spawning aggregation site on, uh, in the Cayman Islands, which is like the biggest aggregation site for Nassau's um, currently. Unfortunately, the species is like overfished, um, definitely overharvested throughout the world. So it's really fortunate that we have this site in Cayman that has been like very protected for years and the population has been able to like grow a lot more compared to many other places. Yeah. So the Nassau grouper, from what I was reading, used to be like one of the most common species of grouper. And now it's listed as endangered by... yeah. Um, Agent, world agencies, right? So, yeah. so what kind of caused the, de- the decline and, and what's so special about this site in the Cayman Islands? Yeah, so um, they're listed as near threatened by the Endangered Species Act, but critically endangered by the big IUCN, which is unrecognized by the whole world instead of just the U.S. And the, that cause is mainly from overharvest and lack of effective regulations um, in many different countries and areas that, they have, that have the fish. They're super easy to fish because they form these huge spawning aggregation sites where um, literally thousands and thousands of fish will aggregate to the same area. And um, they'll all release like their gametes and reproduce that like together at that time. And when there's all of these huge fish aggregating in one spot, they're super easy to find, super easy to catch. And so that really led to their overall decline in the long run. But... What was the second part of your question? <laughs> I was, what about the this spot in the Cayman Islands makes yes it's a suitable habitat? So, like twenty ish years ago, um, a project started in the Cayman Islands called the Grouper Moon Project, 
And it is a collaboration between OSU, um, Scripps, which is an oceanography school in at UCSD, um, and Reef, which is a nonprofit based out of the Florida Keys and the Cayman Island Department of Environment. And so they all these like very smart scientist people <laughs> got together and started doing like a lot of science and research on the aggregation there. And they found all of these different ways to help protect the species, learn more about the actual numbers of like how many fish were there, um, reproduction like um, information. And after, and the Cayman Island government actually like took that stuff into consideration and like used it for conservation and management efforts. And it paid off 20 years later. Now that site is the biggest site um, in the world for Nassau grouper and one of the most successful fish conservation stories um, in the world that we know of. Yeah. That's amazing. So what does it look like um, for you as a researcher, the process of investigating these types of aggregation sites? So my research focuses more on the climate change side of things. Mm. So now that we have the aggregation site back to like this nice size that's not technically overfished anymore, what are other issues that could affect the species? So I'm looking at the impacts of increasing temperature on this species at early life history stages. And so I get to go down and do these like fun experiments. Um, I, I'm saying, I'm like laughing at saying fun because <laughs> <laughs> it is fun, but it's also like, it's a lot of work as well. It's as more well. fun when you get home and look back on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You reflect on it. You're like, this is a cool thing to do. In the moment, you're tired. <laughs> but yeah, we get to go out and collect some of the fertilized eggs during the spawning events. And I bring them back to a lab and raise them for like the week or so that I'm there. And I'm, yeah, literally raising baby fish (laughs) up to a certain age at different temperatures and really looking at the impacts of increasing temperature on the species. So what are those impacts that you're finding? Um, It's kind of similar to many other things where like higher temperatures leads to more mortality. Not so good. Yeah, (laughs) which is depressing, but it also leads to an increase in variability of mortality where we're seeing certain individuals survive longer than others. And so that's another like huge part of my research question is um, actually seeing is there um, like variability, genetic variability in between mm-hmm. different individuals. And so we're collecting fertilized eggs from very specific females and we're comparing mortality rates and development rates. And I'm doing gene expression or yeah, gene expression of heat shock proteins for the Nassau's and seeing like, is there a genetic difference as well across different females? So backing up just a little bit, um, is the, is this area in the Cayman Islands, uh, currently or over the past couple of years been experiencing increases in temperatures or is this kind of like something that we're anticipating will happen, um, as climate change continues to be a problem? Yeah. So increasing temperature is kind of expected throughout the entire Caribbean. Sure. Um, and it is expected. So when this project first started, Back in like the '90s, my mm. PI was working on it then. Um, and Which, who's your PI? I forgot. Sorry, oh, yeah. <laughs> we forgot to introduce him. Yes, Scott Hippel <laughs> in the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife Conservation. Thank Science. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's really cool and has been doing this project. Like he was one of the people that started on the project back when they first started 20 years ago. Oh. 
And um, when they were first diving that site, you know, like their dive computers would say like 25 degrees Celsius for the water temperature. And now when we go there, it's pretty rare to see 25. It's more mm. like 27. Mm. And so um, we've already seen some changes. And then there are climate scientists that have already made predictions where we could see it go as high as like 31 degrees Celsius mm. um, in the coming like century. Wow. I didn't realize this this was that long running of a project. Um, have were you also investigating? Obviously, you weren't. But was the lab <laughs> investigating things related to gene expression or genetic variability at the time to kind of track that with the temperature? Not that I know of. Um, I think this is relatively new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, genetics in itself, like, is always like changing, and I feel like it's only relatively recently been used in like fisheries sciences compared to many mm-hmm. other sciences. So, um, yeah, for the group or moon project, for sure, I don't think that genetics has been used a lot for the work that they've been doing. For other projects relating to grouper, there might be something. I, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure, but for us, no. So I want to, speaking of, I want to go back to this kind of um, sequencing and genetic work that you're doing. So you mentioned something called, uh, that you're looking at called heat shock protein. Yes. Can you explain what that is a little bit? Yeah, um, so it's this highly conserved protein, highly conserved meaning like it can probably be found in like most taxa that we know of. So we have heat shock proteins, other fish have heat shock proteins. Even like bacteria, right? Yeah, bacteria has it. Everything. So that makes it super easy to study because it's so (laughs) conserved and it's expressed in response to some type of environmental stress like increasing temperature. And so what we would expect to see is that with higher temperatures, more heat shock proteins are being expressed. Um, but how that changes between different individuals may like not be, it could be the same, but I doubt it is. So, <laughs> And that's kind of what you're talking about with the genetic component here? Yeah. Like, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so the purpose of measuring these changes in heat shock protein, is it to kind of forecast what which of the individuals might adapt the best to heat? Um, so it's more so to, it's it's becoming another like supporting argument of why we should protect the species so much. Mm-hmm. So if the if the population is super small, the genetic pool is not that diverse, mm-hmm. you know, we don't expect them to do that well with increasing temperature. However, if the population is big as possible and we have a very diverse genetic pool, it gives them the best fighting chance to deal with increasing temperature. And so projects like Group Moon Project have like worked clearly for <laughs> conservation. And so it's just another like supporting argument to kind of help in the Cayman Islands, but also other countries as well mm-hmm. that are interested in conserving the species. Yeah, bringing me back to my college genetics class a little bit here that like <laughs> higher genetic diversity in a population mm-hmm. means better fitness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is something that... I mean, I'm doing it right now for Nassau Grouper, and I forgot to mention this before, but I'm also doing it with Tiger Grouper as well, and hopefully one day Yellowfin Grouper. So it's cool to do it with these like large reef predators because they're so important to like the coral reef in general and keeping a healthy ecosystem. Are any of those other species uh, found within U.S. waters? Like, I was wondering about those international dynamics of how mm-hmm. yes. the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services relates to something that's happening in the Bahamas or... Yeah, so Nassau's are definitely found in U.S. waters, but once, like their populations have definitely been fished down a lot. Um, there used to be huge aggregations in Puerto Rico, um, U.S. Virgin Islands, 
and there's there's one slightly growing in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, there's definitely a yellowfin aggregation site in the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, and I believe Florida as well. So the U.S. government does have an interest. There's a, an absolutely, like, no-take, no, like, fishing, anything, Nassau whatsoever mm-hmm. in the U.S. I'm not quite sure about other species of grouper. Um, but the... Yeah, the, I feel like the, the science in the Cayman Islands is probably, like, the best <laughs> compared <laughs> to any other country. There are other countries definitely interested in getting results like these. Um, but I guess what the, the Group of Moon Project is super unique, having all of these organizations, universities, governments working together to do all of that, and scientists from all these different backgrounds coming together, and locals as well. There's a huge education component where we work with, like, local schools and teachers come and like dive on the site and dive masters from all over come on the site. So very unique situation that is very difficult to do in many countries. (laughs) So like ideally, yes, we would like to replicate it in other places. It's just, it takes a lot of effort and work and, and money to get it to, to work. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty big collaborative. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very big, yeah. So this is a little off topic, but do you have a favorite species of grouper? I feel like I have to say Nassau. <laughs> yeah, because I study it. But I think Goliath grouper is really cool. They're like the really big mm. ones. And there's, yeah. um, well, like they, I think they opened up fishing for it in Florida now, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, those are big. Yeah. They, them up. They're like bigger than like a humans, person, yeah. right? Yeah, they're huge. I think they're really cool. I wish I have never seen one actually in the wild though. Like I wish I could. So. Do they live down by where your your study site is at all? Um, n- not when I'm there. Oh, I'm okay. not sure if they come in other times of year, but I haven't seen one. So that's a great segue into my next question, <laughs> yeah. which is about the time of year that you're there. So um, these grouper have a really interesting and specific time that they go to these spawning sites. Yeah. You talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I can talk about it, yeah. <laughs> so in the Cayman Islands, they um, aggregate at, like, the coldest time of year, and which happens to be winter months, and they'll usually do the first full moon of the year. Um, so usually, like, January, February, but it has happened, like, later. Like, it has happened, like, up to, like, March or something, and mm-hmm. it has happened as early as maybe, like, December. Um but yeah, they're pretty like, it's like a regular pattern. Like they all know it's the, that time of month or that time of year. And they all travel like thousands of, or they could travel a lot of like miles, long distances wow. just to get to um, that one spot to aggregate. Under the full moon. Yeah. Under the full moon. It's funny because <laughs> so we're going romantic. down and it's like a really pretty like sky, like moon is like so bright. We're like, oh yeah, that's a grouper moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so you're you're actually getting in the water during these events? Yeah. So the wow. yeah, the team of divers goes down um like around like well, we'll leave the docks at like five o'clock. Divers will go down in the water probably like five thirty, six ish. And you're it's cool. It's interesting because like the water is very normally clear. You can see so far, like visibility is so like good. Um, but when they're spawning, it, that visibility goes from like 80 feet to like zero, maybe wow. like one foot oh. because it's so cloudy clouds. from, yeah. 
And so it is kind of creepy, but it's it's still really cool like to see it. Like this year, I actually didn't get to go down um, because I was doing lab stuff. But <laughs> but um, it, it's a really cool thing to see. And there's like tons of videos on it. Like I should send you like the link or something yeah. to post on the oh, blog. Yeah. But it's just it's a really cool experience with like thousands and thousands of fish around. And um I forget what I was going to say, sorry. <laughs> so do you just like scoop up some eggs then? Yeah, so there's like these like two gallon size Ziploc bags that you go, like you literally swim through a cloud once <laughs> they finish spawning and like scoop up all the water and cloudiness with it and you just kind of hope that you got enough eggs in that bag. Hmm. Um, depending who the diver is, like sometimes that doesn't <laughs> You don't have a great bag all the time, but that's why we have a huge team of divers mm. where it's like... Um, I don't know, maybe like 10 groups or something going down. Everybody has three bags and, you know, that gives you a lot of options of bags to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm wondering why is it that you've chosen to study the effect of heat on the sort of reproductive stage? Like, is that supposed to be the main mechanism that heat would so, harm these? Yeah. So early life history stages of fish are very highly sensitive stages. So that's the time when they're probably most going to be affected by changing temperature or any type of mm-hmm. changing environmental parameter. So I think that is a pretty good like place to look um, because two deg- degrees Celsius like to a grown fish may not mean too right. much, but to a larval fish that you know relies on a very specific temperature, you're not super generalized yet. It's more dramatic. The conditions exactly Yeah, right. yeah. That makes sense. And so what is actually happening to these fish that are in the higher temperature waters? You said that they, there is a higher mortality and higher like variability in mortality, but what is, what is causing them to die? Soon? Yeah, it's kind of a depressing story. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So they are developing um, like normal, except so fish have these oil globules and yolk sac energy reserves that is kind of like what they use to feed themselves until they can actually start eating. And so normally um, you finish up your like yolk sac around day three of like being fertilized or yeah, being fertilized. And then after you finish it, you'll have like a fully functioning jaw to actually start feeding yourself. But if you're raising a higher temperature, you kind of absorb that yolk sac a little bit faster before you even get the chance to form a functioning jaw. And so you use all of your reserves and you also can't feed yourself. So at that point, you're kind of out of luck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Depressing. Um, But like I said, there's variability in that. So Mm -hmm. if we can at least save the ones that are doing better, (laughs) it can help the species as a whole. So efficient use of yolk sacs. That's maybe something to look for physiologically. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, basically, that's what it is. Like, you don't want to use it too much. But, I mean, like, and under stress, you know, you're trying to do all these things to, like, you're pushing out all these heat shock proteins, trying to survive, and your body just needs to make up for that in some way. Right. So, <laughs> so we have these threats like overfishing and climate change, which you're studying, um, and in a lot of places, these grouper are threatened or, or endangered. 
what is kind of the role that these grouper play in the ecosystem? Mm. Why is it so important to protect them? Yeah, so they are large reef predators. So like sharks, they kind of control everything below them on the food web. Um, so And they're, they pretty much eat anything that they can get their mouths around. Oh, wow. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they can help with like um, lionfish are a really good example. They're uh, this invasive species that has really like taken over a lot of um, like Caribbean waters. And because they're they're invasive and they don't have not many things outside of their native area, which is like the Indo-Pacific, can actually eat lionfish. Um, but fortunately, grouper mm-hmm. will eat anything they can get their mouths around. So <laughs> they're, wow. they're very helpful in dealing with like that type of problem. Um, they also they go to like these cleaning stations on reefs where like these parasites will. They might not be parasites. I forget what they're called. But, or gobies, I think. They will, like, literally clean off parasites off of their bodies. And um, it kind of, like, feeds the gobies, but also, like, protects their health. And, like, the gobies also make a contribution to the reef as well. Um, There's, like, a bunch of different, like, things that you don't really think about. But, like, because they're there, it helps. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It helps the reef as a whole. And, um, yeah, and it's, like, kind of sad if like you start to lose like those healthy things right. <laughs> about your reef. So a really good example of how like every species plays its role and yeah. when you take that out then exactly all these other things start to kind of fall Yeah, apart. there there's so many studies on like the importance of large predators mm-hmm. and grouper just happens to be like one of them. <laughs> yeah. Do other fish um in these areas do you think that they will suffer for the same sort of developmental issues as grouper like is this a representative life cycle um so well i am interested in seeing how other species of grouper also like react to like these changing temperatures um whether outside of groupers Mm -hmm. i can't i'm I'm not confident because every um like family has their own um like life history cycle so it's it could be different for other species but um I am interested in seeing, you know, this same impacts for a tiger grouper and yellowfin grouper. And it's like maybe, like, I'm, this is sad to say, but, like, maybe Nassau's really are out of luck. But, like, does that mean yellowfin are going to be more, um, like, able, like, they're better to handle or more equipped to handle mm-hmm. changing temperatures? Or tigers, mm-hmm. are they more equipped to handle changing temperatures? And should we put our efforts and focus on them as well? outside of Nassau, but we're not giving up on Nassau no, just no. yet, but, but I'm still interested to see what it looks like for others. And are some of those grouper fish uh, species overlapping in terms of habitat? Yeah, they actually spawn in the exact same spot. So the, the aggregation site is actually, it's just a fish aggregation spot. So many different mm. species come there to aggregate, but they don't aggregate at the same time. Luckily for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have a schedule. So um, Nassau's will go first usually, and then um, tigers will probably go like the day after Nassau's finish. Uh, yellowfin will probably go like three days after tigers finish. <laughs> wow, it's so synchronized. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, there's black grouper there. I, they don't, I don't know when they spawn, to be honest. They are there, and divers have like heard them at the aggregation site, but um, we've never actually seen them like. Oh, wow. There. Are they just like 
sneaky or I don't think they're sneaky. I think it's just we're not there like at their time of oh, year. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And yeah, okay. <laughs> we only we only stay for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and everyone can't do it gotcha. <laughs> year round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you are just now tuning in, we are Inspiration Dissemination, and we are having a chat here with Janelle about Grouper. And Janelle, I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit here and get into a little bit of your background. So how did you end up here at OSU studying Grouper in the Cayman Islands? Yeah, so I feel like it all just worked out. That's a really bad (laughs) explanation, (laughs) but so I started... I went to undergrad having no idea like any of this existed as like a real job. I thought this was like you had to be rich and just like did this for fun type of thing. (laughs) Um, And so I went to undergrad studying biology um, on a pre-med track. Like I thought just be a medical doctor if you like science. I didn't know (laughs) there were other things in the world. Um, And then I hated it (laughs) and took an elective in um, like our marine and environmental science department at Hampton University. That's where I went to undergrad. Um, And also Hampton University was a historically black college university or is one. And so everyone at the school, or not everyone, but a lot of people at the school looked like me, like my whole department looked like me. So it was like really fun to do all this stuff with a very supportive audience because you don't Mm -hmm. usually see that many black people (laughs) in this type of field. So um, I studied, I ended up changing my major like as soon as I took that elective and studied marine and environmental science, uh, worked on a couple fish projects, ended up going to a conference. It's called American Fisheries Society. They had a conference in like Reno, Nevada that year. And I met, well, I crashed in OSU like social and (laughs) that's where I met my current PI and literally like at those like conferences you know you get like drink tickets and meal tickets or whatever and so like I gave him like my drink ticket and we had conversation after that (laughs) and and then we talked about like like my research interests like what he was doing in his lab and I had potential funding that I knew of I I didn't actually have the funding at the time it was very potential but I was hyping myself up a little bit in our conversation yeah (laughs) and you know, if like a PI here is like funding, you know, oh, yeah. that they're more interested in <laughs> the magic like. word. Yeah. <laughs> so the conversation went really well. And so I like had his email, we kept in contact um, and things just started working out. Like I actually ended up getting the funding and um, we had worked on like our proposal to, or my proposal together to get the funding. So we already had like ideas in our head. Um, it was a bit overwhelming because I was doing this all like my senior year of undergrad trying to graduate and like yeah (laughs) it was a lot um but it worked out and so then COVID hit this is all 2020 as well and I couldn't finish undergrad on campus I like went back home and pretty much at home my only focus was getting into grad school at that point so I just I don't know yeah (laughs) that was like my whole mindset at the time and it worked out so then did you move across the country to grad school during the pandemic yes That's amazing. I moved here (laughs) August of 2020. Must have been a desolate place. (laughs) It was. When we had all these wildfires, too. Yeah, that was. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was so traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) What a great skies. Yeah. My mom, like, she, so my mom flew with me to, like, move everything in. It was, like, very dramatic. Like, I bought everything on, like, Facebook Marketplace. So we were, like, driving around Portland in this rental car, picking everything up, and then driving down the (laughs) crowds. to unpack it 
And then she leaves like two days later. And then I realized like no one was outside. Like no one was like doing anything. You couldn't really go on. I mean, like you could go on campus, but it doesn't mean anyone's going to be there. So I was like, okay, that's going to be hard to meet people. And then all these fires come up out of nowhere. And I was like, is this normal? Like, I (laughs) kind of, I was like, I didn't realize it was like this in Oregon. And yeah, it was a pretty depressing time. (laughs) Yeah. What a start (laughs) to your graduate school experience. I hope it's better now. Yeah, definitely better now. Like it was also because of COVID, all of these plans I made of Mm. traveling and going to the Cayman Mm. Islands for my field work, you know, all of that was postponed. At the time, I wasn't sure if it was postponed or canceled, though, because, mm, like, yeah. You, it, like, yeah, no one knew what was going on yeah. with COVID. <laughs> and so that was another, like, huge, like, knock to the, like, ego because I was so excited to this really cool project. And it just, like, I wasn't even sure if it was going to work out anymore. And yeah. I was just like, oh, this sucks. But... I ended up taking on like all these different side projects. I pretty much took all of the classes for my master's during that year because I had nothing else to do. So now life is like a lot easier because I don't really take classes anymore. And I just kind of focus on my research, which is nice. And you are getting ready to do your PhD here as well. Yeah. Signed on for more. Yeah. Yeah. Even more. (laughs) Like clearly I do like it in some ways (laughs) because I wanted to stay. Um, so I like I said, I took on all those like extra side projects my first year and those side projects actually kind of turned into my master's thesis and and that's the focus on yellowfin grouper. Um, I talked to, a bit about them before, but their early life history stages have never even been described. Oh, so wow. these climate experiments I want to do, I can't really do yet because there's no like baseline understanding mm-hmm. of yellowfin grouper at those stages. So that's my master's thesis now. <laughs> I'm working on that <laughs> publication right now. And ideally, I will be done with that by the end of spring term and sliding straight into PhD, which has already been started. Um, <laughs> or that research has already been started. And so now it's just more so finishing it up and I guess asking a couple more questions to grow it a little bit. Yeah. That's so you, you were... Back in the day, you were working on finishing undergrad and grad school and getting started on grad school at the same time. Now you're in two different grad yeah, degrees. Yeah, I kind guess of. <laughs> it must be a habit. It's very efficient. That's great. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. And one thing I, I've noticed about the other like fishery students we've talked to, and it seems like it's true for you too, is y'all really carry your research through from, from the field work to the lab work and you know computational if that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's really intense because like you talk to people that do graduate degrees, like not in STEM and it's a very different world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah, it it does kind of get overwhelming at times, but it's also really cool. Like once you like go through the whole process, you know, it's like, wow, like you really did all of this. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I feel like it gives you a better understanding of the the entire process process right. yeah yeah other than just like seeing the data it's at not the just end. a lab sample it's like you know where that you, yeah, you from. got yeah. that sample <laughs> yeah you put your blood sweat and tears in <laughs> that sample. so uh, you you kind of t- mentioned this a little bit earlier but I, I wanted to circle back to it a little bit so less than I, I looked this up and I hope my source is reputable less than two percent of marine scientists are, are black. And I imagine that even a smaller percentage are black women. Yeah. So <laughs> what has, have been some of the 
kind of experiences you've had being a black woman in this in this field? Yeah. Um, Like I said, so when I changed my major in undergrad, like I went to a HBCU, Historically Black College University. So at Hampton, I I didn't truly see like how isolated of an experience would be until I did like my first summer internship. And that was like kind of eye opening because I realized what I was living was rare. (laughs) And when I'm like, and so when I did that internship, I kind of realized, okay, I kind of need to like recognize like this is what it would be like if I continued into this field. Do I even want to do this anymore? <laughs> like That's kind of how it felt. Um, but like, I feel like my passion for it kind of won that argument. So I decided to stay in it. That being said, there are still for sure challenges. Um, you know, like obviously there's going to be like cultural differences for certain things and like this like this field in general it's really cool but if you're interested in it you know you're expected to enter these very white spaces like <laughs> there's no option like i moved to oregon right <laughs> i was gonna say especially yeah. in oregon yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like but even like not like if i didn't go to osu any like marine campus type field like i could have went to like duke or like somewhere anywhere else like their marine campuses are also in these very like isolated they're not like the main campus it tends to be like yeah like Beaufort North Carolina Newport Oregon like even smaller than Corvallis (laughs) yeah so um yeah it doesn't really matter what school you go to I also realized that like it's gonna be a pretty white space so I didn't I guess that is what didn't like tear me away from going to Mm -hmm. Oregon um also the project was really cool so I was like okay (laughs) I can handle it um so, yeah, it's for sure isolating, but there are different organizations that have like recently come up over the pandemic that have made it a lot less isolating that like if you are black and interested in this type of field, I would for sure check out um, Black Women in Ecology, Evolution and Marine Science is a really good one. Um, obviously, that's a super broad like genre of fields, <laughs> Ecology, Evolution, and Marine Science, but it, it, it was really helpful. Like I went to their first in-person meeting in January and it was just, even though the topics were so broad, it was just nice to be able to relate to people that were going through like the same exact feelings and emotions that I was doing. So that, that was really nice. Um, there's also BIMS, Black and Marine Science, and that's not just women, that's all black people. So that was, that's a really cool one. They haven't had an in-person meeting yet, but they mm-hmm. are always at like different conferences in the field. So usually like you can go to like any conference and they're going to have like a table and you will feel <laughs> like there's someone at that conference you can relate to if um, you think you're the only one there, which like before those organizations like existed, like usually you were the only one, <laughs> you were the only one there. So um, it's nice that they're kind of like bringing it together. And it's not just um, people in the U S you know, there's people from like South Africa, um, Hawaii, like so many different places all over the world that um, all of these scientists kind of got together and realized like, oh, you're actually not alone. Like yeah. <laughs> there's actually thousands of us. You kind of make your, make your community. Yeah, groups, exactly. So. And yeah, I'm super thankful for, to the people that like kind of put it together. Um, I think the um, founder of Weems, you know, her, the reason she started it was because like she was asking like her department why, like, why are we not hiring black people? Like, <laughs> why are, like, why am I the only one here? And, like, the excuse she was always given was that, like, well, we can't hire, like, what's not there. And so I think, like, that same day she, like, tweeted, like, 
I cannot be the only black marine biologist. Like, where, where wow. is everyone? That's and she cool got like literally thing. like thousands of like responses at that at that one tweet. And she was like, okay, like we should start something. There's and something and actually, here, yeah. yeah, and it worked out. So. Yeah, it can be isolating, but there's movement to make it better. So don't feel daunted. <laughs> Good to hear. And it, it sounds like and I'm I'm on Twitter probably more than I should be. So I've seen some of these organizations on Twitter. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> but sounds like that's a good a good way to find out more information or, or yeah. to their websites or yeah and that's not just like that's for anything I feel like fisheries related at this point. I think a lot of academic stuff tends to be on Twitter now. So. I would make for it better account. or for worse. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make it go. Sometimes it can get can get like overwhelming. Like sometimes I'll get stuck on like the academic Twitter, mm-hmm. like, and it's very depressing sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. But other times, you know, you see like, oh, like somebody graduated with their PhD, and it's like happy stuff as well. And you see like job opportunities and like different stuff like that, which can be cool. So do what you want with that. <laughs> Follow Janelle on her socials. We put him on the on the blog. Yes, I I saw we, we linked to your TikTok. Oh yeah, cool. I feel like yeah, I in my brain I don't have that many like followers or anything like that and so I'm just like I'm just talking to my friends and then my friend came up to me one day and she was like, "Janelle, that's like 10,000 people following your account." Wow. And I was I was like, "Oh, okay." And then, like I, I still like in my brain I don't put it together, but like when I went to like, and it, it's cool though, like I'm obviously, I'm reaching my target audience because like when I went to the Weems meeting, there were like girls that were just like, oh, I saw your TikTok. Like, mm. it's Whoa. really cool. Like, we're not the only ones like doing this type of stuff. And it was, it's like really exciting that black people that thought, you know, this was not like a real career or a real thing that have interest in it now, like have like some type of representation to look at. So I thought that was like really cool. Yeah. It's like <laughs> an amazing use of social media. Right. <laughs> so do you talk about your grouper on TikTok then? I do talk about grouper on TikTok, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the redeeming stories for social media. <laughs> well, um, I think we're sort of transitioning towards the end of the podcast. Um, and we have a couple of traditions that we always get to um, to kind of close out. Um, and one of them is we always ask, what is your favorite part about your research? Um, I love to travel. So I feel like <laughs> that's one of the biggest things is getting the chance to like travel and go diving for free. But also actually like I have a really strong sense that the work I'm doing does contribute to conservation mm-hmm. efforts. And so not only do I get to like do all this cool fun stuff, but like I can actually like feel good about it. Like <laughs> I don't have, um, and so I think that is probably like the most exciting thing. Like I can, even though it's like, okay, today I was in the lab doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, I know it's going to something that actually makes a difference. And that is like a great feeling. Beautiful. Uh, another thing we always ask for here on Inspiration Dissemination is for some advice. So tell us who your advice is for and what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I guess, well, two things. One, if there are any black people listening, like I said before, like... This field is not always very <laughs> diverse, but I wouldn't let it deter you. Like, I'm super, like, into, um, even if you're not black, like, just as long as you're just that, like, old white man, like, <laughs> like know that you can do it. Like, I feel like so many people are deterred by the field because there's so many, so much, like, gatekeeping of what it's really like in academia and, like, mm-hmm. trying to get into fields like this. And so 
like don't be afraid to learn more about it and um, you know, reach out to different people, um, go to a conference if you are interested in going to a conference or yeah, just literally talking to people like that's how I, I met my PI. <laughs> Crash like, a party. Yeah, it worked out. At a Bold move. Yeah. Paid off. Crash a party. <laughs> uh, and then finally, um, we always let the guests pick their outro song. Um, I have a guess as to why you picked this song. Um, <laughs> but if you wanted to say more about that, why sure. you picked it. Um, well, there is a remake of The Little Mermaid coming out soon. Oh. with, um, And I am also... Obviously, in my mind, a mermaid. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I picked Under the Sea by, um, I don't even know who the artist is, but from the Disney, Disney. movie. Yeah, by Disney. <laughs> um, and the remake of Little Mermaid is also starring a black woman. So that is also exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. All right. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for joining us here thank on the you. show tonight. Um, we had a great time learning about the grouper and and everything tonight so thank you Thanks so much for having me. and With without that, further ado we'll go into the song under the sea tune back in oh not next week because we are going on spring break um so tune back in in april <laughs> for more inspiration dissemination and stay curious my friends in somebody else's lake You dream about going up there But that is a big mistake Just look at the world around you Right here on the ocean floor Such wonderful things around you What more is you looking for Under the sea Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Haman. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Holbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends. <laughs>